Let's, uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your word. We're grateful for the company of the saints. We'd ask that our thoughts on the things you have revealed through your holy apostles would be beneficial to us. We'd understand them. We wouldn't wander off the reservation. Thank you. In your son's name, amen. We're in 2 Corinthians, end of 2 Corinthians. As a matter of fact, we're going to take it from the first verse of chapter 11 through the end of the book, which is chapter 13. Uh, skipping conveniently, and you say, well, that's kind of, after you just told me the second law of the Medes and the Persians is this, the sermon never gets shorter. I did cut out almost a whole chapter midway through. There's a little bracketed intervening section that I don't want to cover. Not that it isn't valuable, it's very valuable, but uh, I wanted to get to the point and I will point out what we skipped without digging into it. As you know, the Corinthians were a difficult church for Paul and he's always trying to figure out how they view his ministry. And you'll, if you read through First and Second Corinthians, you, and there's even a couple of Corinthian letters we do not have that Paul mentions, and uh, so we don't even know what the whole conversation was like. But they seem to have factions. They seem to have some people like Paul. A lot of people didn't like Paul. And if you can imagine having a uh, an itinerant pastor that came through your town who was an apostle of Jesus Christ and you didn't like it. You didn't like his teaching. You preferred someone else. Now, we're not in that situation. As, as we don't have apostles today. We have you know, teachers, pastors, writers of books. And there's a lot of us. A lot of, uh, and I, since I'm a small church pastor, there are church pastors with whole staffs of pastors. You can imagine that? Not just a secretary, but staffs of pastors. I can't even imagine. I'd be lucky to get a parking spot. We're not in biblical times, but we can spot some, some things going on. And you've probably worried about some of your friends as they go on in their Christian life and they get caught up in some happening group or trend-driven group, and they wander, you think, off the reservation, start listening to a teacher you think is a little sketchy. Now, I, I could speak with authority on this, because I am the teacher that many think is a little sketchy. So, I feel, I feel it. But you have, to, you have to measure that with every, everyone you listen to. And what we're looking at is Paul's warning to the Corinthians here, starting with verse 1 where he is expressing his outlook about the nature of people choosing other um, spiritual leadership. And, it's, and you'd think, well, that's just kind of a, you know, kind of a irritated girlfriend moment where he's not liking that someone is dating someone else now. But is it that? Let's take a look. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I betrothed you to Christ to present you as a pure bride 
to her one husband. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I can almost hear those words coming out of any home church pastor when child A goes off to college and gets caught up in some church, some movement, some sect, some specialty group. And they say, I'm concerned. I'm a little jealous. I, I maybe led you to Christ. You were in our youth group. I baptized you, sent you off to college, gold dang it. And so I feel a little jealousy that someone could be deceiving you. Now, that, those words are natural to anybody who is in the preceding position. It's only that, am I an antecedent? That's all. And uh, we, th we think like that, that someone may be wandering to something that is not you. Paul phrases it at a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. That that's what you'd be led astray from. So we know since any pastor, any pastor is going to be thinking that way. Any teacher who had anything to do with your life is going to think that way. We have to sort out who's like, more like the Apostle Paul, because we know the Spirit of God is in the Apostle Paul. We know that he is trying to work out for them a pure devotion to Christ. And then he describes the situation, verse 4. For if someone comes and preaches another Jesus than the one you received. Oh, excuse me, another Jesus than the one we preached. Or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received. Or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you submit to it readily enough. Now, just like, just like on one hand, the concern could be naturally about pastors who are a little possessive, a little, little too much on the loyalty leverage. They want to say, oh, man, you were, you were raised a Baptist, or you were raised a Methodist, and how can you walk away so easily? Oh, yeah, pastors can be clinging. Old girlfriends can be clinging. But Paul's concern here is that those who are, he's feeling jealousy for, are the ones doing something, wandering to something they ought not. It's like, yes, she's your ex-girlfriend, but the guy she's dating is a biker. Or, far worse, a fraternity brother. We prefer the biker. You're a little concerned. That you're concerned that, that the, the boyfriend just said, oh yeah, yeah I, I'm a Christian, I grew up Nazarene. And you know what he lives like, you know he's not a Christian, so you're concerned. The concern is on two fronts. The first one listed in another Jesus. A different spirit and a different gospel. Content is one problem. What are they saying? If you go off to that godforsaken what place called Boise, is that the place, the name of it? Go off to godforsaken Boise, the land of the Philistines, and you try to find, you know, you find a good body of believers. There's not, 
There's not the concern, or the ought not. There's, a, there's the problem with the pastor. If he's concerned, you find it, a Bible-preaching church down there. Then he's just possessive. I had that experience years ago in the military. Um, a guy started coming to our Bible study on base, an Air Force guy, and he wrote to his discipleship leader, navigator, in uh, Indonesia, and said, hey, I found a great, a great group to get connected with, and... and uh, the guy wrote him back, you can't go to that, you're my disciple. Well, I think he just said, well, you're in Indonesia and not, not here. So. But some people get very possessive, some people are very clingy, like with ex-girlfriends. But here, here, there's the concern, not just that you are elsewhere hearing the word of God, that would be the fault with the teacher. That you're hearing a different Christ, receiving a different spirit, and a different, accepting a different gospel. Now, you know, if you go to Galatians, you know what Paul thinks of those who preach a different gospel. Let them be damned. Even if he were to preach it. It's not resting in his role as a teacher. It's resting in the truth of the gospel who Christ is, what spirit did you receive? And I want you to keep those categories in your head because as you go on in life, and Moscow is a transient town largely, some of us are lucky enough to live here, the rest of you come in as freshmen, leave as seniors, if you, par, you know, play your cards right, you could be a grad student, but you still gotta go. You gotta go find a life. And uh, having found a life, you're going to be looking for the saints. You're going to be looking for the believers. Looking for those. Where are they collected in such a way that I want to be with them, praising God and being taught? This should be a concern to us. Because the second thing that was wrong, I said the first was the difference. Another Jesus, different spirit, different gospel. And the other is, you submit to it readily enough. How easily, how easily Christians just fall over for some kind of spiritual nonsense that comes their way either because there's really cute girls there. Now, I want to thank you, ladies, for maintaining our reputation in the company of churches for having cute girls. He said, who thinks we're cute? Well, at least we're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not impoverished. We're a small church, but we're not impoverished. But have you ever thought you might change your doctrine because how cute she is? Consider, pause. There are a lot of Mormons in Idaho. And they'd be happy to date you, dunk you, drop you, I think is the, the saying. Get you involved with a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit. How readily we are it's just surprising how readily Christians will walk into a hugely different tradition. Now, it's great if they walk from incorrectness to correctness, unbiblical to more biblical. But when they've got no reason to think where they are is unbiblical, and next time you see them, they're high church Anglican, and I like the Anglicans. And you say, why are you Anglican? Well, you know, they have 
they submit to it readily enough. It's like, it's like uh, they just wanted to try out a new flavor at, at uh, Jams, which is a frozen yogurt place, which, to which I never go. Submitting to it readily enough. Paul's concerned about the believers. What in you keeps you from thinking about the faith you are involved in and the saints you are involved with that makes you pray to different Christs, different spirits? And this is not unusual. This is, I would think, normal. Well, it's average. It's not, it's abnormal. I think that I'm not in the least inferior to these superlative apostles. Now, when somebody uses a word like superlative with apostles, you know, what? What's he talking about? Why did he put superlative? And I give you the Greek word in the side, huperifanos, uh, arrogant, proud, top lofty. These are the, these, the people he is talking about leading the saints astray are those, he's talking about those apostles. He's not talking about Peter and John and, and his competition with the other apostles because he wasn't one of Jesus' disciples. He's talking about this group of teachers who are teaching another Christ, another spirit, another gospel. These superlative, these arrogant apostles, Every time this word is used in the New Testament besides here, it's either arrogant or proud. Okay, it's not, a, it's not something else. So there's something about these people that's... Um, well, if they're not preaching Christ, they have to be motivated by some award. Everything has an inertial force. What got you to do this? Why did you want to do that? Why do people go into the ministry? They like attention. They like performing. I like having a stirring deep voice and a microphone. And it's usually, you're still stirring when I don't have a cold, but I feel uniquely authoritative as one uttering, the passage said this morning, the oracles of God. And you say the word God. And there's a certain, there's a, well, there's, a, there's an award to that. We were talking last night, uh, the gang was over, the gang. We were talking about Toastmasters. And I've never been at Toastmasters, but people were talking about, uh, who was it? Was it Nick or was it you talking about the, uh, the Nazis that was really like being talk, talking at those places? There's some people who really like being up front. I enjoy it. I, mean, I have to say, I really do enjoy it. Um, I'm happy to stand for the whole service. If I had asked you to say, please stand while I preach the message. I want to be sitting. Well, so would I, but I'm standing because I enjoy this so much. You don't enjoy receiving it so much that you would stand for the whole thing. Unless a standing ovation is what you have in mind. Which I would be open to. People have different motivations. If Christ, whatever Paul's getting at here, Christ has a service 
that involves people being taught by others, that we have to have some hint as to how we make that selection, how we make that assessment. He's pointing out that these people are preaching a different thing. Now, let's be honest. The reason people think I am flaky is because I say some different things than other people say, admittedly. In privacy of my own home, I'll tell you what those are. But we all know that there's countless denominations that are all saying different things and all sorts of different teachers. And you go to a Christian bookstore and you can buy a book that says exact opposite of the other book you bought. So we're looking at how do we know this is a different Christ and a different spirit and a different gospel that we jump into too readily. Part of it's going to be what the motivation of those who teach you is revealed to be. Is there a revelation? And Paul may, then makes the argument, even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I'm not in knowledge. In every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Did I commit a sin in abasing myself? <laughs> so that you may be exalted because I preach God's gospel without cost to you? He basically lays out that the motivation of the superlative apostle, the arrogant apostles, is going to be is going to start registering in their arrogance. They are not going to be able to abase themselves and make the gospel free of charge. He said that that's what I did. Did I commit a sin in doing this because I, I didn't compete well enough with the slick ones? I was looking, I will not mention any names, but I was looking at a book in some secular situation of a famous pastor. The cover of the book was a half, well, from the waist up, hymn. I don't know what the book was called. My, when my eyes swam when I saw it. It was like a coffee table book, big color photo, him. Him on the cover. It's bad enough when it fills the cover on the back. Because what PR tells you, well, you gotta sell you. I'm gonna have a, someone stand in, someone good looking stand in for me, you know. Uh, and it's Brad Pitt. Oh, what was I thinking? I was thinking about this book. And the guy, the guy had hair, substantial hair. Hair that he should know isn't styled that way anymore. A little bit too 80s. And a, the grin that looked like a coat hanger had been shoved in his mouth. And he said, and I said to myself, and maybe to my wife, he doesn't, he do, he doesn't actually know how obvious his groping after attention is. He does not know. It's evident in, and, and if you brought it up to him, he wouldn't recognize it. One, because too many people readily enough submit to him. He's got a very big ministry. Very big. How, I, I don't know how, have you ever seen someone buy a car from a used car salesman? You know, the, the awful kind of used car salesmen that are just as obvious as the day is long. How do they ever sell anything? Because there are some people who readily enough believe the simple claim 
Sure, I'm honest. I'm smiling. I have a gold tooth. What you have to be ready for is that there are other Jesus, other Gospels, other spirits, and a class of Christians who readily enough fall for it. Now, I don't know what your views are. I have to stop and ask, do I care what your views are? We have, in, in other churches here in town, a tendency for a number of young believers, because it's kind of cool, to fall for Greek Orthodoxy. Just go. It's, how did, what? Greek Orthodoxy? Oh, because they have beards. Smells and bells. It's ancient. All sorts of you know, claims that have nothing to do with what do they say about going to be with God at the end of your life? What do they say about salvation? It's not the same gospel. not the same gospel. But we see the name Jesus attached to anything and still kind of confuses us. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It says saints, it says Jesus, it says Christ. How could they be wrong? People talk about being spiritual. We think, yeah, that's good. Spiritual's good. I've had talked to believers who I knew were dear believers who use the word gospel to speak of anything, anything that wandered close to a devout life. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who did not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. She gave her life for helping the poor, but the fact that she gave her life for helping the poor is not the gospel. The message that saves is not a Hindu helping the poor, a Christian helping the poor, um, uh, the federal government helping the poor. It's, it's, it's not any of that. It's your confession of your sin for the forgiveness of sins on the basis of the death of Jesus Christ. That you would be forgiven and you'd have life eternal. That's what the gospel deals with. But I hear Christians who don't know Christ from Christ, spirit from spirit, gospel from gospel. What are you looking at? Since we submit readily enough, since that's one of the problems, we've got to have, as you're temporary, you know, Maya's graduating and Daniel's off and Nick's off and anybody else leaving? Are we going to lose half the church? Oh, yeah, Jack's leaving off for Boise. Why is it always Boise? <laughs> big city, the lights. One of the things you look for is arrogance. Because they're feeding something. If they're not serving Christ, they're feeding something. He says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. He wasn't taking pay from the Corinthians. And when I was with you and was in want, I did not burden anyone for my needs. For my needs were supplied by the brethren who came from Macedonia. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. He makes a point of not selling them his bestseller book. Not taking a salary from the church in Corinth. 
And it's not wrong. He's taking, a, you might say, support from the church in Macedonia. So he wouldn't burden these people. As the truth of Christ is in me, the, this boast of mine shall not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. That's where Corinth was. And why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that their boasted mission, in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. Paul is ready to throw down against these. He's ready to work with Apollos, Peter, others, Priscilla, Aquila. He's got a, he's got a broad sense of working. He has teaching on how to get along with people of different theological persuasions. But there are some people in the church with coat hangers in their mouth and bad hair who everything is success of their name and their income. And people still submit to it readily enough and think it's the gospel. And because they know They know that this kind of integrity of Paul's is saintly. They boast that they share the same standards. They talk about, you know, I really felt a, I really felt a need, a burden for the people in, let's say, the, the Ethiopian or the Egyptian church, and, and we're putting together uh, so forth and so on, and just send your money in to me. We'll get them money. We'll get them benefits. And people fall for it. Paul's about undermining these people. The reason I'm speaking on it this morning is I think I ought to be about undermining them too. Now, it's not going to do me much good. It's not going to, this is not a mean of leveraging my own ministry against their ministry. But this is about something else. Because they admit that these standards are holy and good. And they'll like to use words in their advertising literature. You know, and I'm not, a, I'm not a current designer. I'm an old guy, so when I used to do design, it was old school, and I could never update. But you could tell the new kind of design. You'll see the, the word in one typeface and another word underneath it in script, probably the word authentic. You know how much I hate that word. And I don't hate authenticity. I think Christians ought to be authentic. Never, ever go to a church that has the word authentic in its literature. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't care if the only other church left is Calvinistic. Go there instead of with the church that has authentic in their literature. I trust the Reformed. They're wrong on everything they affirm. But we have the same terms thrown at us. That's why it's Jesus, the Spirit, the Gospel. And they know that integrity is one of the things you expect out of your leaders. And so they tell you, I have integrity. Until they run off with the Puerto Rican pool boy. And you go, huh, how'd that happen? Because we submit readily enough. We're not looking for holiness. We're not looking for integrity actually. We are children of advertising. Now, he says, verse 13, for such men 
are false apostles. This goes back to those arrogant apostles. False apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. False, deceitful, disguised, and the Christians falling for it. It was happening in the first century. Just because it was the first century doesn't mean the church was running like a, you know, a Swiss watch. It wasn't. It had the same problems we have. And even apostles were around to go, hold it, that's not the way it's supposed to go. And still the Christians were making a muck of it. Still deceived by the disguise. Now, the memorable verse for the day, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. How many times have you heard the dang verse? You know, the, you know, the, something good comes along and seems to be leading people astray. And sometimes Satan itself. This is that famous verse. That everybody, oh yeah, Satan sometimes appears as an angel of light. He's applying it to that pastor on the front of that book who teaches health and wealth gospel and doesn't teach repentance from sin, doesn't teach the forgiveness of God, and charges you an arm and a leg so that he can have a mansion and money. And I don't object to mansion and money. Did I mention that earlier? These people are Satan disguised, their boss. So, is it, so it is not strange if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. I won't mention any names. There was a pastor a, couple, a month or so ago, a little bit more, who killed himself. And he killed himself. Uh, he had well-respected long pastorate, wrote a lot of books, essays posted on a lot of famous Christian websites. It was because his wife found out about seven different affairs. And he, she let him know, and he immediately attempted to kill himself. He failed, got him to the hospital, got him stabilized, and he hung himself. He made a living telling everybody about righteousness. It's, it's amazing to read some of the things he said. I was surprised he didn't shoot himself earlier because he was lying. People are in the world trying to make use of you, use of your desire to draw close to God, to get them what they want disguising themselves as servants of righteousness and they're servants of the devil. That's what he said his servants, Satan's servants. Now here's what we need to realize. Their end will correspond with their deeds. That's what it says next. Their end will correspond with their deeds. I just wish the Christians would stop being so surprised when after 10,000 people coming to your Sunday services, they find that you're a slime. Or you don't believe in X, Y, or Z. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. 
but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. Here is where the break happens. There's a whole section of him from verse 17 and following down through... Um, where did that come back in again? Verse 19 of chapter 12, where he talks about, look, I did a lot in my life. I did a lot in my ministry, for heaven's sake. I mean, I, I, I didn't put it in the ads. I didn't put the word authentic, um, uh, martyr for the faith, this, that, or the other. But he's got those qualities. He says, this is foolishness of me to do this, but I want you to know, I'm not speaking without the experience of someone who has suffered for the kingdom, done great things for the kingdom, and has worked miracles for the kingdom. But when he comes back in, and because I, I wanted you, you can back in and read that at, at your leisure. In verse 19 of chapter 12, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves before you? Because that's what it can sound like, right? Paul's going, Hey, you Corinthians, hey, hey, what am I, chopped liver? Come on. I gotta be, I gotta be, hey, give me some of my share, or uh, you're in my group, why can't you be following me? Paul already in earlier in 1 Corinthians said, some say you are of Paul, some say you are of Cephas, some say you are of Paulus. He rejects those. He says, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He does not want that. He wants them to find Christ. Because the only real point of protection you have. Now, let's just say I went on a weight loss program. And I, you know, and it worked. And I started dressing a little better. Got some Grecian formula. Got my hair a little darker. Um, practiced my speaking. Wrote my sermons out. Crowd started to increase. How do we know that you're not listening to complete nonsense? Sunday after Sunday. What do you make your judgment on? You don't want to submit to it readily enough. You don't want a different Christ. You don't want a different gospel. Because your eternality is hanging on that one. The spirit of you, your life is hanging on the spirit of you. What's it making? Their deeds will correspond to the, their end will correspond to their deeds. That's a satisfying gift. Well, you know, this keeps happening to them. But how? When Paul says, I'm not just making you choose who, which group you're going to be loyal to. Loyalty, as my father says, is a dirty word. People use it to make you pick when you shouldn't be picking on the question of loyalty. You should be picking on the question of truth. And your true is not measured. Truth is not measured by how stirring and lone the voice can be. How much unction the pastor can deliver. How much worship time you can feel. The truth is in something else. It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding beloved. We're not about defending us against them, getting our group bigger than theirs, making sure we don't lose in the census. This is about what Christ wants of you. For I fear that perhaps I may come and find you not what I wish, and that you would find me not what you wish. 
that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. That's the fear. Would you have the kind of soul, if you became a teacher of the gospel, a teacher of the faith, and you went to visit some friends in another town that you had used to pastor, and you walked into their church and you found everything that was right in Christ in their life. Everything that was, it was not jealousy, anger, selfishness, etc. It was goodness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what you ran into. And you were hearing some view that is entirely different than yours in the pastor. Would you rejoice? Because the thing that Paul wants to see is not Paul advanced. His advancement is because he knows he's from God, he's an apostle of God. But he's willing to give up his standing for the sake of their holiness. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned before and have not repented of the impurity, immorality, and licentiousness that they have practiced. This time, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Any charge must be sustained by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when president on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you desire proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful in you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we are weak in him, and in de- but in dealing with you, we shall live with him by the power of God. The thing you need to be looking for <coughs> is not just the wicked end corresponding to their deeds sort of pastor who's all about themselves, the arrogant pastor, the arrogant uh, uh, teacher. And not just the, because a lot of people will put on the artifice of humility, but are the people about not their own, but you being in Christ more and more. That the power in you is spoken to by people who have the power in them. And you're always being pushed to find Christ in you. Not to find yourself more loyal. That it's far better for you to be encouraged, not too rapidly, to visit the other saints in the other bodies. That's great. Because when you find other bodies that can also minister to you and other believers that can share with you the gospel and your growth, it's really about the power. It's really about what Christ is doing in you. We live with him by the power of God. Then he says in verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are holding to your faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? He's not saying, do you not know you have a membership in the St. Paul's Evangelistic Crusade? The St. Paul, you know, popularity club? That's the signal to him that something's going on. He doesn't mind it when it's certain people. He minds it when it's others because it has drifted away from Jesus, the Spirit, and the Gospel. 
and people falling too readily. I mean, Galatians is about that. He says, oh, you idiots, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And because they were hearing a teaching from Judaizers that was suggesting going back to the law of the Jews. Paul's willing to die on that hill, but he's dying for Christ, not for his following. He's willing to, because he's willing to humble himself in this issue of the following, does not mean that he's unwilling to step forward strongly and say, I'm coming to town, and if anybody's not repentant, we're going to deal with it. Because this is not how strong Paul is in the matter. It's whether or not holiness is followed in the church. Examine. Examine. Test. Realize something. Somebody was having a test. Bethany was having some health tests. And somebody else was having some kind of exam coming up. Examine yourself. Check. What's going on? What's your spiritual health like? Are you about trying to get over all the sins in your life or are you about living the life of righteousness in Christ Jesus? Test yourself to see whether or not that's what it is. Or is it because you, all your friends are, are really friendly to you? you? Oh, I'm a loving person. You realize you never speak to anyone you can't stand. When did the Lord say, was it last week we preached on this? Love your enemies. Uh, I don't even want to see my enemies. Love them? Love your enemies. Test yourself. How's it going? Find somebody you, know, you don't enjoy being around. Just say, well, I'm going to see if I love them. The test. Find out if I love. Realize that Jesus Christ is in you. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Check. This is not, we're not just sort of floating through this religion thing with you pinballing your way around various denominations as you get tired with what one church does for you and you finally start to notice all the hypocrisy so you become, you know, something radically different. You're not, it's not a smorgasbord. You're looking for God and righteousness. Part of the problem is you're not looking for God and righteousness. So test yourselves. I hope you'll find out that we have not failed. But I pray, God, that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right. Paul's saying, the, you succeeding in the test, everybody took the exam at All Souls Christian, and everybody got, well, at least above a 70. Not so that All Souls can go, hey, everybody knows this stuff, everybody's passed the test. But for the sake of doing what's right. Because checking matters. Though we may seem to have failed, even if nobody credited the church for how you were living, if you're doing what Jesus Christ wants, that's what's important. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. What we pray is for your improvement. 
I write this while I'm away from you in order that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority which the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brethren, farewell. Mend your ways. Heed my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. I love it when St. Paul or one of the others sums things up. And he never says, have a good definition for the Trinity. Uh, you know, when you dangle holiness, you say, well, but he didn't mention the gospel there. Yeah, the path to holiness. I, all you have to do is dangle holiness. Holiness standing out there in front of you, wanting to be reached. How are you going to get there without the gospel? That which can forgive you, that can turn your life around, fill you with Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. Mend your ways. You check. You check on who you are. You mend what's broken. You're measuring out that whole heed my appeal, agree with another, live in peace. Measure out in your circumstance those two things, peace and love. Now this is not my old hippie standing coming back. I don't think I ever did this seriously in my life. But peace and love is Christianity. Practice those two things because the God of love and peace will be with you. Do I understand what love is? Do I understand what peace is? Have I even talked about it? Have I even pursued it in the reading in the books do I pick up things that help me in my relationships but aren't just telling me about how to be at peace with God how to be at peace in my world how to love other people find the things that will benefit you in this regard greet one another with a holy kiss that'll be enough of that I don't want to no one kiss me don't even hug me I, I, I absolve you of this requirement all the saints greet you in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're grateful. In your son's name, amen.